Hey, this is Pastor Devin. Thanks so much for joining us. I pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. Okay, we are in our final week of our study through the book of Ephesians. I pray that it's been an encouragement to you. I know that it's been challenging at times, but I also know that it's been timely for us as a church uh, in our planning and our sermon series as we look out projecting through the calendar year. We typically are about four to six months in advance planning what series we're going to do. And so six months ago when I really felt the Lord uh, prompt me to teach through the book of Ephesians, I had no idea what uh, we would be dealing with as a church. I had no idea what conversations Ashley and I would be having with couples sitting in our family room. I had no idea what would be happening in the life of the church. And I just know that it was not by accident. It was providential that we were walking through this this portion of scripture during this time. So um, my hope is that it, it marks you in such a way that it actually stays with you, um, that you never read Ephesians the same way again. If you ever hear a reference through the book of Ephesians, I hope you're immediately taken back to what God has worked out and spoken to you during uh, the series. Today, we're going to focus on the topic of spiritual warfare. Uh, we're going to end with a very light topic, so that's good. Um, <laughs> um, we're going to focus on nine verses in the sixth chapter of Ephesians to Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. But before we get there, I'd like to frame it in a way that helps us understand how real this is. So let me start by saying this. The reality of spiritual warfare, that the reality that the spiritual world teaches us is an important principle that you have to get. You, you need to recognize that your prayers are far more powerful than you know. Your prayers. Your prayers are actually far more effective and powerful than you would even know. There may be times when you're praying and you feel like nothing is happening, but you need to recognize that something is happening in a different realm. Your prayers are far more powerful than you know, friend. It's not just wishful thinking. It's actually causing movement in a realm that you cannot see. There is a great example of this in the Old Testament. And before we jump into Ephesians, I just want to frame it this way. Uh, Daniel, who, uh, of course, we were reading through the book of Daniel. If you were soaping along with us, we read through the entire book of Daniel. Next week, we'll start a two-week series on the book of Daniel. But Daniel is praying, and apparently he feels like nothing is happening. He's praying and seeking God, and from his perspective, no movement is happening. And then one day, a messenger, an angel named Gabriel, shows up to deliver a message to Daniel, here's what it says in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. It says, then he, meaning Gabriel, the angel, continued saying this to Daniel, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, listen to what he says, your words were heard. From the very first moment you started praying, it did not fall on deaf ears. We, we were hearing in a realm, even though you didn't see something happening, and then he says this at the end, and I have come in response to the prayers that you thought were making no difference. Your prayers are far more powerful than you think they are, friend. So from number one day, from day number one, Daniel prays. God hears the prayer. God, the Spirit of God is at work, even though he doesn't know it. And this angel comes to visit him and comes to answer his prayer. Now, before I read the next verse... I just want to make a comment uh, because you're going to have to do something with what you're about to read. We're, we're, we're getting ready to read something that is a very clear depiction 
of the battle that's happening in the heavenlies. And that may be something that maybe you weren't raised around or that you've shied away from or maybe that was a little out there for you or maybe you were in an environment that manipulated or kind of abused that. But what we're getting ready to read clearly depicts what is taking place in the spiritual realm. Here he is, Gabriel speaking, verse 13. Here's what he says. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia resisted me for 21 days. Now, he is not talking about a man. He is talking about a fallen angel, a demonic spirit that's been given charge over a city. 21 days he's been battling. And then Michael, who we we know the name Michael for the archangel Michael. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So now he's referred to two princes. He's referred to Michael as a prince, and he's referred to this demonic spirit as a prince. He calls them both princes. They're both angels. One's fallen, one's evil, and one is good. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings, plural, of Persia. Now, there was only one king of Persia, so we know he's not talking about a man. He talks about princes and kings. Can you imagine this? Daniel's been praying As soon as he started praying, although he didn't realize it, God heard it. He released his angels, and for 21 days, they're doing battle over something that Daniel thinks is not even making a difference. Your prayers are far more powerful than you think they are. Michael, the archangel, appears. He's able to hold off the evil spirit so that Gabriel, the other angel, can go deliver the message to Daniel. He goes to deliver and says, hey, Daniel, God's answering your prayer. 21 days. There's a battle going on in the heavenlies. You just have to understand what you see in the physical world is not all that there is to see. Your prayers are being heard. Now look down at verse 20, Daniel chapter 10. And then he said, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. So again, an angel speaking, he's not talking about fighting with a man. He's saying that another prince is going to show up and he's going to have to fight with that one. Verse 21, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds or supports me against these except, no one, no one defends or, or is fighting with him against these princes except for Michael. And look what he says. And by the way, he's your prince. You can't miss this. Gabriel's talking to Daniel and he says, I'm fighting demonic spirits and now I've got to go back and fight them some more and I'm going to need some help and the only one that can fight these demonic spirits with me is your prince, your angel. Now, I really wish that Michael hadn't retired. Um, I mean, are the, do, do you think that there are still prayers and spirits that Michael is fighting today? Sure he does. There are still demons and there are still angels and there's a war going on in the heavenlies and this clearly depicts what that war looks like. Here's Daniel praying here on earth. Oh Lord, thinking nothing's happening. And yet angels are fighting with demonic princes over areas trying to get the answer from God to Daniel. Now, now let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Last week we referenced the submission of children to parents so we're starting right in, in verse 10. Finally, he says... Be strong in who? Be strong in. (laughs) Okay, let's try that again. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in whose power? In his mighty power. And and here's what he's trying to say. Uh, You're not strong enough to win this battle on your own. Finally, in his strength, in his power, you're going to be able to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Now, do you know what a principality is? I know we can quote the scripture and rattle it off, but are you even thinking about what you're saying? A principality is a prince over a region. That's the definition of a principality. Like a municipality is a governing body over a city, a principality is a prince that's been given charge over a city or region or area. So uh, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So now we have the New Testament confirming what we just read in the Old Testament, telling us that there is a war happening in the air, there's a war happening in the heavenlies, and it is very real. In fact, it is more real than the world you see with your eyes, friends. It is. We are not struggling against flesh and blood. So... Let me say it this way. You're not fighting against a person. Your struggle is actually not against a person. It's not against people. If you have a battle, your battle is actually not against other people. Your battle is not against the government. Your battle is not against Democrats. Your battle is not against Republicans. Your, your battle is not against Hollywood. Your battle is not against people. If you have, So you're thinking, oh, well, you don't have my boss. There's a battle. I have the boss from hell. No, no, your, your battle is not against the boss from hell. Your battle is actually against the powers and principalities, princes, demonic princes that have been given charge over a given area. We live in a physical world, and yet there's a spi- spiritual world that is more real than this world. So here's, here's what you need to embrace. You need to embrace this truth that what you see with your eyes is not all that there really is. We are fighting against demonic princes over regions and cities. Now, some of you, it's easier for you to believe that you're fighting against demonic spirits <laughs> because of what it looks in the person. A principality, though, is a prince, and Paul tells us that we're struggling and wrestling and fighting against these princes. These are, these are demonic princes that have been given charge over cities and areas. Now, think about this. Have you ever driven into a city and felt evil? I mean, you, you instantly sensed oppression and darkness you walked into a room and you thought there is darkness in this room you, you walked into a play and you thought there is oppression in this place i know I, I have experienced that a lot and if you stay there long enough you can start to pinpoint what that spirit is and satan takes advantage of these things you know which city in the united states is the has the highest suicide rate anybody have a guess highest suicide rate las vegas Las Vegas. Now, are you really surprised? No. Satan knows where to place princes. And in a city where people are gambling their lives away and losing everything and living loosely and and pursuing moral depravity, is it any wonder that Satan would place a prince of depression and suicide over that city? In other words, demonic spirits take advantage of what's happening in the physical world. There's a spirit activity happening all around us that's responding to this physical world. So, so what do we need to do? I'm actually going to give you three simple points within our Ephesians message today, okay? Here's the first thing that you're going to need to do, and I think, I think I'm getting you there, but here's the first thing you need to do. You need to recognize that you are in a battle. You need to acknowledge and recognize, I am in a battle. And there are a lot of believers that just want to pretend there's not a battle going on. They just want to ignore the battle. Oh, it's just great. Hoping it's going to go away. It's not going to go away. Well, I'm, I'm not really comfortable with that. Comfortable or not, there is a spiritual battle, battle going on. And whether you like it or not, listen, you are in a battle. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, a lot of Christians just, they, here's where they stop. For we do not wrestle. No, we just don't wrestle. No, we're, no, we do wrestle. We are in a struggle and we are in a battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in this physical world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. So the battle that you're in is not going to require weapons from this world. It's going to require weapons from another world. So though we live in a physical world, there is another world. There is the kingdom of light battling against the kingdom of darkness. And when we engage in that spiritual battle, we do not fight with the weapons of this world. What you see is not all there is. We have to learn this principle. Right now, maybe you see some lights and some music equipment and a podium and a person. I just wish you could see what's happening in the spirit realm right now. There is move, if you had eyes to see that there is a spirit world, forces of evil versus forces of the kingdom of God, there is more than what we can see with the natural eye happening right now. There's a war going on. And we can't just stick our head in the sand and hope that it disappears. Just because you stick your head in the sand doesn't mean the ocean goes away. No, it's still there. It's not going away. And if you don't show up for the fight prepared, you're going to lose. You're in a battle. Spiritual warfare is a part of your life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself, listen, with the affairs of this life, but he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. A soldier in what? In the, in the heavenly war. So you've been enlisted as a soldier not to engage with the things of this life, but the things that are in the spirit world. So in the, natu- in the natural, the best advice is to walk away from a fight. That's great advice in the natural. In fact, some of us would do good to take that advice. Here's, here's what you need to know. That will not work in the spiritual. It will not work in the supernatural because you are in a fight whether you want to be or not. You're, you're in a fight with someone who doesn't play fair, by the way, who will sneak up from behind you and is wanting to take you out. Let me, let me just tell you a little bit about your enemy in case you don't know. He is the meanest, cruelest, most violent, most vicious, most hateful being that has ever existed. He is a kidnapper, he is a rapist, he is a murderer, he is a liar, and he's a thief. Let me say it this way. He commits every violent crime. Every violent crime that you've ever seen or heard of, he was behind it. Every one of them. He kidnaps children, he rapes women, he steals from the elderly, and he murders the innocent. He's worse than Hitler. As a matter of fact, he gave Hitler the idea. Now let me, let me tell you something else about him. He hates you. And he's looking for any opportunity to take you out. Aren't you glad you came to church to get encouraged this morning? Is this awesome? It's great. <laughs> I feel so good right now. And I know that's, that's discouraging. Maybe that's bad news. But here, here's what you've got to understand. It's true. It's true. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking. He is seeking. He is always in the mode of looking who he can take. He's looking for someone to devour. Now, I don't know if you saw this or not. They compare him to a lion, which is from the cat family. Satan 
cats. I just don't know if you see how that plays. Yeah, see, I knew that you were discerning people. I knew that you were spiritual people. I knew that. I just knew that you were going to, un- you would see, you would see the spirit world there. I, would, I knew you would see that. I, by the way, I have two demons in my house. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm about to take them out. Uh, ser- <laughs> seriously. Um, the evil one is prowling, uh, prowling around looking for someone. He's looking. He hates you with more venomous hate than you could even imagine. He wants to devour you. Well, what does he want to devour, Devin? He wants to devour your marriage. He loves divorce. He wants to devour your testimony, your witness. He wants to take you out with, with sin and disqualify you from sharing your, your testimony. He wants to devour your kids. He would love to get them hooked on drugs and pornography and destructive sin. He wants to devour your finances. He, he loves debt and financial bondage so that you can't be generous. He wants you fighting and worrying and bickering about money. He wants to destroy your health. He loves sickness. He loves disease and pain. He wants to destroy every relationship you have in your life. He hates you. And he wants to take you out. And you're in a battle. Now, before we look at our response to that, because I, th- I think you now adhere that you're in a spiritual battle. I think it's important for us to not only acknowledge that there's something more going on than what we see in the natural. I think it's important for us to more than just acknowledge that you're in a battle and that you have a real enemy. Before we look at our response and our role, I think it's important that we identify his tactics so that you can recognize it when it happens. And he does it in lots of ways, so I'm only going to give us a few this morning. This is not an exhaustive list. It's just a few ways that he tries to attack you. Here's, the, here's one of the ways. He tries to blind you from the truth. He wants to get you so deceived that you not only buy into a lie, but you're literally blinded from the truth. You can't even see it. So even when the people that love you most point it out, you can't see it. To the degree that you become angry and defensive when you hear the truth. You you become unreceptive to the truth. So maybe even for some of you right now, Satan is trying to distract you so that you don't hear the truth. Let me say this. He is. It's not probably. He is trying to distract you. He's trying to stop you from hearing the truth. Because if you hear and experience the truth, here's what happens. It will set you free. Satan knows that the truth can change your life. So the last thing he would want for you to do is to receive the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The God, little g, of this age, of this world, look, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. Satan tries to blind your minds so that you don't hear the truth. Maybe in looking at your life, you look back and you see moments when you actually used to believe the truth. And somewhere along the way, Satan deceived you and you bought into a lie and now that lie has become your reality. To the degree that you're convinced that the lie is actually your thought. It's not your thought. It's a lie that you believed was actually yours, but it was actually a thought from the enemy that you believed. And he's blinded your mind from seeing the truth. Here's another tactic that he uses. He steals the word of God. You think, no, I don't, he doesn't do that. He loves to rob you of the word of God. For example, maybe some of you can relate to this. There, maybe there have been different times in your life 
when you heard something about God or you heard the truth of his word and, and it did something inside of you. It piqued some spiritual curiosity. Something came alive inside of you. It resonated with your spirit when you heard it and you were kind of spiritually leaning into the things of God and you thought, I think this is real. Maybe this is good and maybe I need to embrace this. And you didn't even understand it all, but there was something about it that caused you to stop and consider it. And then you got up the next day. And all of those spiritual thoughts were gone. And life went back to normal. And you're wondering, what, what was that that happened yesterday? I can't even remember what that was. I thought maybe I was going to go that direction. And now it's, where did it go? Did it just vanish? Now, Jesus tells us why it vanished in Matthew chapter 13. Look what he says. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't fully understand it, the evil one comes along and snatches away what was sown into your heart. He loves to, to rob you, to steal the word of God from you. Here's the next thing he does. He likes to trap you in sin. Satan loves to trap you, to ensnare you. He would love nothing more than to trap you into a dangerous lifestyle of destructive sin. He would love nothing more than to do that. He's, he's measuring you, prowling around, looking for an opportune time, it says. Have you ever noticed this in your life? If, if there's any point of vulnerability in your life, some area where there's a weakness, have you ever noticed that something always seems to find you to tempt you in that area? Do you think that's random? So maybe you're trying to leave the party lifestyle, and as soon as you make that decision, your friend shows up with a keg, and you're like, well, maybe I'll start next week. I'll start. Or, or maybe, maybe you're trying to purify your thoughts and, and your mind, and the next thing you know, someone's texting you a picture that's creating a lustful thought. You think that's random? He's measuring you, and he's trying to ensnare you. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. Everything is not the devil. Let us, let us not be the church that says, well, the devil made me do it. No, the Bible says that we're led astray by the own, our own deceit that's in our heart. There's nothing more deceitful than our own heart. So, so some of us need to stop casting out the devil and just have some self-control. <laughs> Let me say it this way. There are some things that don't need a miracle. They just need discipline. Oh, wait, then, I, then I'm responsible. I know. I know. That dessert tray, listen, the dessert tray comes by and you go, oh, the devil's out to get me. No, self-control. Self-control. Well, I need to pray about this. No, you don't need to pray. You need to push away. <laughs> Discipline. The devil, now the devil's setting traps. He wants to ensnare you. Wherever you're weak, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. And that they will come, this is what we, that they will come to their senses and escape from, look, the trap of the devil who has taken you captive to do his will. The devil sets traps. He wants to ensnare you. He wants to take you captive, not to do the will of God, but to do his will. He wants to blind your mind from the truth. He wants to steal God's word from you, and he wants to ensnare you. You need to recognize you're in a battle, and you need to recognize the tactics of your enemy. Okay. You say, well, man, where's the... Where's the good news? Here's, here's the good news. Here's some good news. Here's what you need to do next. You need to recognize who's in the battle with you. That's good news. You see, because Satan doesn't play by the rules. He's a bully. Um, 
Have you ever seen a bully? Or I, I'm on playgrounds a lot with our little ones. I see bullies all the time. Even in the Chick-fil-A playground, I see bullies. While I'm eating Jesus' chicken, I see bullies. It's crazy. How can you do that in this organization, you know? I see it all the time. Maybe you've seen a show or a, a scene in a movie where a bully was getting ready to pick on the little kid and he takes him by the coat and he's got him up against the wall. He's like, you better give me what I want. And all of a sudden, his eyes get big and he backs up and he straightens his coat and he goes, I am so sorry, and he walks away. And the little kid is like, that's right. I finally stood up to the bully. But what that kid didn't know was that his big brother had just walked up behind the bully. Okay, listen to me. We've got an amazing big brother. We've got an amazing big brother. And Satan is terrified of our big brother. He's terrified of him. In fact, if you're going through a battle right now, hear me, you're, you're struggling right now. There's, there's something that you're going through. It's difficult. Maybe somebody, nobody even knows about it. Here's what, you, here's what you need to remember. You are not alone in your battle, friend. You are never, ever alone in your battle. And maybe you walked in here today feeling alone. Look at me. Welcome home. Let's walk together through it. God wants to use us to walk with you through it. So here's, here's the choice you have to make. Am I going to walk with big brother or not? Are you going to try to fight this battle on your own? That's the choice you've got to make. Because if, if you're going to walk with big brother, it, here's what you need to know. It's not hard for him to take care of Satan. I, God has never gone, ooh, Satan's really done a good one this time. I don't know about this one. Sa- Satan is not a problem for God. But Satan is a problem if you try to take him on by yourself. The Bible says, listen, what it says? He, he says he can cast out Satan with a word. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then the lawless one, the enemy, will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow. Look at what it says. With a breath of his mouth. By. Now that's why I'm not God, because that's how I would say it. I mean, that's why I would, I would, just <laughs> being honest. Huh? Psalms, eight, Psalms 18 says that he scatters the enemy and exposes the foundation of the earth. Listen to what it says. With a blast from his nostrils. Okay, let, me, let me say it this way. God can blow his nose and get rid of Satan. It's amazing. It's amazing. Listen, Satan is not a problem for God. God is not troubled by Satan's presence. Look what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6. He says this, fight the good fight of the faith. So he assumes that you understand you're in a battle. So there's a fight, but it says that you can fight the good fight, which begs the question, what's the difference between a good fight and a bad fight? Now, this may surprise you. I have not been in a lot of fights. I know with my stature and my physique, you would think that I would be in a lot of fights. I'm a pretty intimidating figure. You don't have to laugh that hard. It's okay. I, I don't have a lot of experience in this area, but um, I love watching fights. I have this inner fighter in me that's like 6'4 and 270. I mean, it's like ripped and huge, you know. But here's, <laughs> I've watched enough fights that I know the difference between a good fight and a bad fight. You wanna, here's the difference between a good fight and a bad fight. A good fight is one that you win. A bad fight is one that you lose. 
And you actually have a choice on whether or not the fight is going to be good or bad for you. You have a choice. Whether or not the fight that you're in is going to be good or bad. You have a choice. Whether or not you're going to walk with Big Brother. You have a choice whether or not to try to do this on your own. Okay, so if you recognize that you're in a battle, you recognize the tactics of the enemy, you recognize who's with you in the battle. So, Devin, what's my part? Here's the third thing. You need to put on your armor. Put on your armor. Now, verse 13, back to Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, he's seeking you, he's measuring you. It's not if, it's coming. When it comes, you put that armor on so that you'll be able to stand your ground even after you've done everything you can, you can stand. So here's your role. You need to decide whether or not you're going to arm yourself every day or if you're going to go out into the world and try to take it on by yourself without any protection. So let me ask you a question. Why would God, through his word, tell you to put on the armor if you didn't need it? You need it, friend. I need it. So here's what he says now in verse 14. Here's what this looks like. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. For a Roman soldier, the loin belt was actually the most important piece of weaponry on the entire armor. Why? Now, it wasn't seen, but it was the most integral piece. Because the Roman soldier's loin belt was the piece of armor that held all the other pieces together. The the loin belt was connected to every other part of the armor. So if the belt wasn't in place... He's in trouble. His sword hung on the scabbard that was clipped to the side of his belt. His shield, when not using it, was on the other side, hanging on the other side of his belt. The the pouch that carried his arrows was on the back side. Even his breastplate was attached to his belt. In other words, the soldier's ability to use the other pieces of weaponry depended upon his belt. Without his belt, the armor of the soldier would literally come apart piece by piece. Now, it probably wasn't the piece of armor that he was the most proud of, but it was the most needed integral piece. So a couple thoughts on that. Truth, honesty, is foundational to any relationship working in your life. It's what holds it together. You can have all kinds of things, but if you don't have truth, If you can't be honest with yourself, with God, and with others, it will never work. I don't care how gifted you are, how charismatic you are, how impressed people are by you. If you can't be honest, if it's not founded in truth, it will eventually, listen, it will eventually fall apart piece by piece. Again, listen, one of the enemy's tactics is to blind you from the truth. And here's what I know. Fear springs from a lie of the devil that you have believed. And if you don't uproot the lie, it will eventually manifest its promise in your life. And this will become your reality. What Job said in chapter 3, he said this, What I feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded is now my reality. When you accept the devil's word over God's word, you allow fear to be produced in your life. So let me say it this way. A liar doesn't have any power until someone believes the lie. And that's exactly where some of you are right now. 
You have believed the lie. Fear is being produced in your life. You're not uprooting the lie. And if you don't uproot it soon enough, it will become the reality of your life. Listen, his, his trick has always been the same. His trick has always been deception. And his only power comes from the authority that you give him when you don't resist him. You say, well, how, how do I resist him? That's a good question. That's the right question. And here's the answer. You've got to start by getting honest. You've got to start by receiving the truth. And when you put on the belt of truth, God's word around you, when that has a central place in your life, listen, I promise you, everything else will be held together. As long as the word of God and truth are central in your life, the rest of your spiritual armor will be effective. It will be in place. But the moment you ignore God's word and cease to apply it to your life on a daily basis, you will find yourself believing the lies of the enemy. When you remove God's word from its rightful place at the very core of your life, it won't be long until you begin to spiritually come apart at the seams. Truth has to be central to your life. The willingness to pursue it. The willingness to live it. The willingness to hear it. Honesty is foundational for every relationship in your life. When you cease being honest, relationships cease to exist. So where there is deception, there is no relationship. Husband, wife, is there, is there any area of your relationship that you're not being truthful in? It's only a matter of time before... It, it falls apart. Everything is connected to it and it rests upon it. The, bu- the buckle of truth, the belt of truth. All right, here's the next one, verse 14 again. Stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness. The armor of a Roman soldier weighed about 70 pounds. 70 pounds. Can you imagine trying to do battle? trying to move nimbly and quickly with 70 pounds draped on you? And here's the deal. Most of that weight was right here. About 40 pounds of the 70 was right here in the breastplate. Why? Well, mostly because it was protecting the most vital of all the organs, your heart. One blow to the heart, and it'll take you out. Which is why the enemy is constantly tempting us towards unrighteous living, because if he can lure us towards unrighteousness, our hearts are exposed and we become vulnerable. The breastplate of righteousness, it protects your heart from, listen, this is one of his favorite weapons. One of the enemy's favorite weapons is this, condemnation. Condemnation. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that the enemy is accusing us all day, all night, 24-7, trying to convince us that we have disqualified ourselves from God's love and you will never be used again. You've disqualified yourself even though through Jesus, God has already declared us righteous. There's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation comes from the enemy. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation drives us away from God. Conviction leads you back to him. Scripture says that your heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart will lie to you, friend. My heart lies to me. It will lead you to unrighteousness. The breastplate of righteousness protects your deceitful heart. Now listen, you're not righteous because you're good. (laughs) Scripture says that no one is righteous. No, not one. Scripture says that our best best attempt at righteousness is like filthy rags. 
So here's what the breastplate of righteousness reminds us of. It's a reminder to focus on what Jesus has already given to you and accomplished for you. Righteousness is simply right standing with him. Well, the only way we can be in right standing with God is by making Jesus Lord, and in doing that, we can be in relationship with him and we can be in right standing. That's righteousness. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. You can't earn your way to it. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I love that. In other words, when Jesus is Lord, you trade your righteousness or lack thereof for his. So Jesus was made to be something that he wasn't sinful so that you could be made something that you weren't righteous. That is really good news, everybody. That's good news. You receive the breastplate of righteousness, not by performing, but by faith. By faith. So Satan, he comes to accuse you and convince you that you're disqualified. Your best days are behind you. Here's what, you remind him what Jesus did for you. You remind him that you stand righteous before God now. And because of that, you can live in right standing with him. And you can now come boldly to the throne of grace and find grace to help you in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4 says. Boldly. Now you'll never do that until you get honest. Put on the belt of truth first. Here's the next one. Stand firm then with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Have you ever tried to walk over sharp rocks and tough terrain with no shoes? I, I can barely walk on my aggregate driveway without socks. It's, I'm pathetic. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Take the, why did I? And I keep doing it. I get halfway down the drive and I'm going, oh my God, my feet are bleeding. This is like, I can't take the trash out. It's terrible. Okay. Shoes are important in a, in a soldier's battle. If you're going to be engaged in this battle, you, you better be able to stay steady on your feet. The shoes of a Roman soldier were actually weapons. They, they began just above the knees and ran all the way down to the feet. They were made of heavy pieces of leather tied together with leather straps and intermingled with bits of metal. The bottoms of the shoes were affixed with dangerous spikes protruding out from them. Now, this doesn't sound peaceful. I thought this was peace. So let me explain it. The, the reason that they ran all the way up past the knee is so that they would be, his legs would be protected when they had to march through rocky or thorny terrain. They acted as protection. The spikes on the bottom were intended to hold the soldier in place when making them virtually immovable during battle. So the peace of God, listen to me, the peace of God, when it is operating in your life, it protects you from the assaults of the enemy. The peace of God enables you to keep moving forward and marching even when he's trying to distract you and disrupt you. Those spikes that held that soldier in place, the peace of God, listen, will hold you in place when the devil's trying to push you around. You can go through a, a chaotic, stressful time and you go, I've got peace. People look at your life and go, that's, that's incredible. I, that's because I got, I got peace. And when you put on God's peace, you're able to walk through things that you never thought you could. Romans chapter 10, how beautiful are the feet of them who preach the gospel of peace. Peace. There's nothing like the peace of God that enables you to walk through very trying and difficult times. Okay, truth. 
righteousness. Is this helping anybody? I hope this is helping. You're going to arm yourself, okay? I want to help you this morning. Verse 16 now. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one with. The Roman soldier's shield was composed of multiple layers, usually six layers of thick animal hide that had been tightly woven together, and it was as tough and as durable as steel. However, the shield could become stiff and breakable over a period of time if it wasn't properly taken care of. So in in order to keep the shield in good shape, each morning, listen to this, the soldier had to take a vial of oil and pour it on a piece of cloth, and then he would rub that oil, that heavy ointment, into the leather portion of the shield to keep it soft and pliable. Now those of you that put the armor of God on know where I'm going with this. Because if the soldier neglected this daily application of oil to his shield and didn't maintain it, the leather portion of the shield would harden and crack and under pressure would eventually just fall to pieces. Paul says, listen, he says that the shield represents your faith, which means that your faith, like the shield, requires frequent anointings of the Holy Spirit. Without a fresh touch of God's spirit upon our lives, our faith will become hard and stiff and brittle, and it's the anointing, listen, that brings supernatural power to your faith. So let me say it this way. A faith that is ignored nearly always breaks and falls to pieces in the midst of confrontation. Faith is the shield. It extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the enemy. Faith is putting your absolute trust in God and on the promises of his word. Faith is trusting that the invisible truth has the power to change your visible reality. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says this, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith verse 17 now take the helmet of salvation the helmet is the last piece of defensive spiritual armor the last two are offensive you're on the offense with the last two a a soldier's helmet was made of bronze it was equipped with specific pieces of armor that were designed not only to protect his head but the cheeks and the jaw of his face as well it was extremely heavy so they would line the inside of it with sponge so that he could handle it being on his head it was also a flamboyant piece of armor it was very ornate and intricate it was it was like decorated with engravings it looked more like a piece of artwork than it did a piece of metal It, it was painted with scenes so it would be very hard for one of these soldiers that had their helmet on to walk by you and you not take note of him. These, these helmets made them noticeable. A couple thoughts on this and how it translates to your spiritual life. First of all, salvation is the most gorgeous, most intricate, most elaborate, most ornate gift that God has ever given us. And when a person walks confidently in the powerful reality of salvation, listen, they are a noticeable person. They don't just walk around with people not noticing them. And if your salvation is worn around on your mind like a helmet, the, listen, the enemy will try to hack away at the foundation, telling you that healing and deliverance and soundness of mind are, were not a part of Jesus' work on the cross. So just like 
The breastplate of righteousness protects your heart. The helmet of salvation protects your mind. You see, the devil knows that if he can seize your mind and fill it with lies, then he can manipulate your emotions. The, the, the helmet of salvation helps you to combat the enemy's lies by protecting you from fear and by guarding the way you see and hear and perceive the seen world. Satan comes along and he loves to plant doubt in our minds. And when you don't recognize that thought that he prompts as a lie, if you don't reject it, then Satan will gain access to your mind and he deceives you. And he will bombard you. Listen, he will bombard you with more lies until he has established a thought pattern in your mind. And if he can establish a thought pattern, that thought pattern turns into a belief which results in repeated behavior. And that's how he builds a pattern of sin, a stronghold in your life. Now, here's the good news. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that we can bring down every stronghold by by. How we do it? We bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We can bring down every stronghold. That's why we need to train our minds. Have confidence in your salvation. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. Back to verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit. The remaining two pieces. First of the last two. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The term word there is taken from the Greek word rhema, which means this, a quickened word. Now, when you see sword of uh, the spirit, that word sword there does not mean a long sword. It's actually about 15 inches long, and it's more like a dagger, and it's got a a curved end on the top of it. It's for small, short, hand-to-hand combat. It's not for distance, okay? So in other words... The sword is not a physical weapon that you yield in your hand. It is one that the Spirit wields through your mouth. Because it's for close encounters with the enemy when he comes with his lies and you need a quickened rhema word. The Lord drops a scripture in your mind, a thought into your heart, causing it to to just come alive supernaturally in your heart. And the word is so powerful that it's like a dagger that's been placed in your hands for close combat with the enemy. You've got to get this picture, which is why, listen, which is why it's so important for you to know the word. Because if he gets that close and you don't know it, you're in trouble. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, scripture, and finally, verse 18, and pray in the spirit every now and then. Pray, pray in the spirit when you're feeling it. When everything is great. No, actually, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. On all occasions, in every form of prayer, the prayer of faith, the prayer of intercession, the the prayer of consecration, of thanksgiving, of petition, of agreement, of corporate prayer. Here's what's interesting. You carefully look at Ephesians chapter 6, eight, uh, 10 to 18, those verses. Here's what it reveals. It reveals that every piece of the armor, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, scripture, all of them are, atten- are, are intended to be used within the context of prayer. All of them. You say, well, I, 
I don't really like do the prayer thing. Well, then don't expect to be fully armed when you go out to battle. Put on the whole armor, all of it. Not a couple pieces, all of it. So here's a good question because we now know the pieces of the armor. You're going, well, how do I put it on? That's a pretty that's a logical question, simple question. The, the answer is just as simple. Here, this is going to blow your mind. Here's how you put it on. You pray and obey. It's amazing. That's amazing. I know, it's not tweetable. It's not cool. No one's going to like it. Do you understand that the Christian life boils down to that? Like we overcomplicate it. Hear God and do what he says. It's that simple. You're in a battle and the only way you're going to win the battle, the only way, listen, is to go meet with the captain of the army and do what he says. You say, well, how often do I need to meet with him? Okay, let me ask, I'll answer that with a question. How often are you in a battle? Every day, okay. So so you need to go meet with the captain every day. Every day, you choose how you're going to go into battle, armed or not armed. And and who you choose to put first in your life, you or him, will determine how well you do in the battle. So as, listen, as you walk out your door tomorrow morning, whatever your, your day entails, as you walk out the door tomorrow, here's what you need to know. The enemy is sitting and waiting for you. And so you need to decide, do you want to walk out alone or do you want to walk out with Jesus? It's a choice. You, you have a choice, whether it's a good fight or a bad fight. And let, let me say this. There are going to be some battles in your life where the enemy keeps attacking in the same way with the same tactics. So don't allow that to, to fool you into thinking that you can fight the battle alone just because it's the same battle and he's attacking you the same way. Don't ever get to the place where you think, I think I got it now. Uh, no, you don't. No? no. I think sometimes, here's what we think. And this is what the enemy wants us to think. Well, God wants me to grow up and stop relying on him so much. That, that is not true. In fact, a sign of a mature Christian is one that never stops relying on him, ever. How much? All the time. And the enemy will come along and say, are you still relying on him for that? You ought to get stronger and smarter. When when are you going to get strong enough to get over that? When when are you going to not need him? Here's the answer, never. Never. You can't fight this battle alone. You are fooling yourself if you think you don't need him every moment of every day of your life. I got this. No, you don't. Just because everyone else thinks you got it doesn't mean you got it. Yeah, I mean, you can fool everyone else. The enemy comes along and says, you know how to be a husband. You've been doing this for 25 years. You know how to be a dad. Start working on other stuff. You're good there. You know how to do this life thing. No, you don't. No, I don't. Every, Every day, you say, God, I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. Every time you meet, here's, here's what happens. Every time you meet with God, let me tell you what you're receiving. Wisdom and strength. Wisdom. Anybody need wisdom in your life? Anybody need strength in your life? Let me just show you a couple of scriptures and then we'll close. 2 Samuel 22 says this, for you have armed me with strength for the battle. Job chapter 12. With him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. Anybody need counsel and understanding and wisdom and strength? I do. 
Every time I meet with God, it's like working out with weights. That's, that's my only workout. <laughs> Every time I go into that room, I'm basically working out to get stronger. You're going to get strength and wisdom, and he's going to give you direction through his Holy Spirit. And just know this, that he might tell you to do it a way that you didn't think he was going to tell you to do it. But that's how, that's how deep the Christian life is. So it, it doesn't get any deeper than this. You just simply ask God what to do and then go do what he tells you to do. And if you'll, listen, if you'll do that, you'll win the battle. Conversely, if you don't ask him and don't do what he says, you know what's going to happen? You're going to lose. That's a bad fight. You need to put on the armor of God. You say, well, where do I put it on again? Okay, let me say it this way. Here's where you put it on. Quiet time. Quiet time. That's where you arm yourself. It really does boil down to that. Will you meet with God every day? Your willingness to do that and your willingness to do what he says will determine whether or not you're going to win the battle of that day. So when I see someone continually losing the battle. Now, I'm not talking about a slip-up and you made a mistake and you get back. I'm talking about someone that habitually, continually is losing the battle. It is a good indication that they're not asking God what to do and they're not doing what he's telling them to do. It's a good indication that they're not taking the time to put on the armor. If you, listen, if you don't take time to do that, every Peace of the armor is a result of spending time with God. Last verse of the day, Jude chapter 1. But you, dear friends, by building up yourselves, you build up yourself, you do this every day, by doing that in your most holy faith and praying, praying is connected to every, every element of, of the armor. By doing that, by praying in the Holy Spirit, you, here's what you do, you keep yourself you keep yourself in God's love as you wait for his mercy to bring you to eternal life until he returns. You build yourself up by spending time with God. This, this is the secret to the Christian life. This is the secret to everything I do. And, and here's the thing. It's not really a secret. I'll, okay, I'll go as far as to say this. I probably haven't told you anything today that you didn't already know. It's a matter of if you wanted to do it. Well, certainly it gets to the point, Devin, where you don't really need him every day. Well, that's the first mistake. No, I, I choose every day. I do this. Pastor, you do that? You need that? I need to pray for you. No, I need it every day. I need it every day. I don't know what I'm doing, but he does. And you know what he says when I come to him and tell him that? You're right. You don't know what to do, and I do. And I go, well, good. I'm glad someone, one of us does. Your enemy is the cruelest, meanest, most hateful person. I told you who he was. So let me, let me tell you who your God is, and then we'll pray. He is the most merciful, most compassionate, most wonderful, most powerful, strongest, wisest person who ever lived. And, and listen, he's inviting you to meet with him every day. Every day. There's no doubt you're in a battle. You are in a war. You are in a fight with someone that hates you and wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. 
He wants to make your life hell on this earth and he wants to take you there to live with him forever when you die. You're in a war. So here's, here's the question. Will you meet with the captain of the army of the Lord and get your directions and orders from him and then go do those orders? That's it. So that you can put on the full armor of God and stand, stand against the schemes of the enemy. And if you want to put more of the armor of God on in your life, would you just say amen with me and receive that word? Okay, Lord, thank you. Thanks again for listening. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at Wilson Central High School at either 9 or 11 o'clock a.m. I'll look forward to seeing you there.